Well, at this time, we're going to do something we haven't done for over a year and a half, and that's, uh, what's it called? Commission. See, it's been so long, I forgot the word. <laughs> Commission our Stephen ministers. A year and a half ago, we had uh, a number of Stephen ministers take their training, and they've never been commissioned, because a year and a half ago, their training was through January, February, and March, and then when the COVID thing hit in the spring and they kicked us out, it uh, sort of took care of commissioning anybody because they're so unfamiliar with what was going on. So if there are any Stephen ministers here this morning, uh, would you come forward so we can commission you, pray for you. We had a number of them all across the front here, uh, first service, and a number now. And some of these are Stephen ministers who have served in Stephen ministry. Stephen ministry is a ministry that uh, these people have taken like 45 hours of training, and it's they, what they do is they come alongside us when we're going through a time of crisis, what they do when they meet, nobody knows who's matched with who, and it's pure confidential, and it's just a great opportunity for us when we're going through crisis to have somebody walk alongside of us, not coming to fix us, but just coming to listen and to support us, just to arm around us and, and uh, walk with us through that crisis. Sometimes the crises are very heavy, sometimes they're very light, so it's just a great variety. And this is the hands and feet of Jesus here this morning. All of us are. And uh, if you'd stand with me while we pray for these. We handed them all their certificates in the first service for their uh, going through the program. And Father, we thank you for these people that have chosen to serve as Stephen ministers and other areas in the church. We bless them. We pray that you would just give them the wisdom that's needed, Lord God, to walk along somebody, aside somebody that's going through a crisis in their life. And we pray, Father, that uh, your hand would be upon them, that they would be fruitful, they would be blessed, that they would know and really experience what it is to be your hands and your feet in the earth today, Lord God. So we commission them, we send them forth, Lord, to continue to do the work they've been doing for this past year and a half. And uh, we thank you, Father, for their willingness, and we pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you guys for serving as Stephen Ministers. This morning I'm going to be talking about uh, be free from the stranglehold of worry because worry can literally stranglehold us and push us down to the point where we're, it uh, makes us so that we can't hardly get out of bed. And uh, I, want to, I, I think that I, have, I can speak on this even from an experiential point of view because before I become a Christian, I was a real worrier. And I think that it's in my mom's genes because she seems to be a worrier, was a worrier. But I remember thinking, uh, if I didn't, wasn't, didn't have something to be worried about, I would get worried about that. Think, oh my goodness, there's gotta be something wrong. I got nothing to worry about or I'm not worrying. And it's true and it's maybe an old part of my personality, some that I've had to overcome because when I was in grade three, I had an ulcer. You know, and, and that's crazy, a three-year-old with a stomach ulcer because of nervousness or whatever. What? She's talking to me. She's correcting me in public. <laughs> but it can debilitate us. And this story that I'm going to share here with us, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a good example of how it can debilitate us. When the stock market crashed in 1929, J.C. Penney lost almost all of his material assets. Worry and anxiety, uh, worry and anxiety set in. He became physically ill and deeply depressed, and as a result, he had to be hospitalized. 
Mr. Fanny's illness became so severe that on one particular night, he thought that he was actually going to die. And when he woke up, he realized, when he realized the state that he was in, he got up to take a walk. And as he walked down the hospital corridor, he heard singing coming from the chapel in the hospital where he heard the words, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of him in, in every way. And so those words kindled a spark of hope in his heart. And when it went, uh, he went into the chapel where the prayers and the reading of the scriptures were directed, his focus to his problems, uh, to, from his problems to God, who cared about him and was able to deliver him from all his difficulties. This was the turning point for J.C. Penney. He made a complete recovery from his illness and went on to build one of the most successful uh, retail businesses in the United States. And he had heeded the, Jesus' counsel of turning from worry to God. And I did that. I remember when I first got saved, and I can remember you know, going across, and I remember mentioned it enough times, you're probably getting sick of hearing it, but going across the overpass, on Highway 11, heading toward Bentley, and uh, I remember crossing that overpass and thinking, I have such peace in my heart. And it was becoming a Christian, realizing that God is in control, that I don't have to worry because he's the one who's in charge of my life. You know, so I asked, you know, is it really that simple, just to make up our minds and just to decide we're not going to worry? I'm going to talk about that this morning, about the secret of not worrying and having less stress in our lives. The more we make seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness the priority in our lives, the less stress and the less anxiety we're going to have in our lives. You know, there's a beautiful song that says it, and I'm sure we're all familiar with it. And it is, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's no comparison to the faith and the satisfaction and the comfort that comes from being close to Jesus and having a relationship with him, a real relationship where you're communicating with him back and forth. A.W. Tozer says that the man of pseudo-faith will fight for his verbal creed but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where he must rely on, uh, where his future must depend upon that creed being true. He always provides himself secondary ways of escape so that he will have a way out just in case the roof caves in. He goes on to say that what we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know that they must do on that last day. We must learn to trust God's provision ahead of our own. Last month I preached, when I preached, I preached on the importance of being aware of where our hearts were focused. Where is it that our treasures lie? Are we storing up treasures in heaven? Or are you like the farmer in one of the parables that Jesus speaks about who is allowing the cares and concerns of this world choke out the desires of the Spirit? In that parable, Jesus says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desires for other things, and no fruit is produced. After reading that, you know, the question goes in my mind is, is my life fruitful? 
God's message was being crowded out by the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. The main idea of the message last month was the fact that Jesus was challenging his disciples to not get distracted with storing up their treasures here on earth, but rather that they must be motivated by the confidence of the Father's provision for their basic necessities and basic needs. So this morning we're going to look at the next nine verses, and here Jesus continues to talk about the things that cause us to lose focus and to get distracted from serving him. So with that being said, we're going to take a look at the verses there. It's chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. And it says that, That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory is not dressed as beautifully as they are. Whoops, I get going and I'll... And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek, uh, but don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So as I was reading these verses, as I started to read these verses, and as I've read them in the past, you know, the question comes to my mind, you know, that it says that uh, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. I thought of it, of, you know, I thought of all the kids, and the innocent kids of this world who uh, are starving to death. I thought of uh, World War II and all the atrocities that went on there and uh, how many people there have starved to death. You know, there's over, around, give or take, 25,000 people a day die of starvation. And uh, think about Afghanistan right now and what's going on there and the trial. There's been 20 years where uh, the Afghan army has been out. The ones that have come back in there have been out. And this new generation uh, have grown up not knowing anything about, or probably knowing about it, but not experiencing what they're going through now and the pressures and the stress and the worries that would be going on there. And the Afghan Christians, they're running for their lives as we speak. You know, and so I thought about these questions come to my mind, and yet these verses that we're reading, Jesus is promising that the Father will uh, provide for the necessities of our lives, of their lives. And as I thought about it, and I thought it through, and I meditated on these scriptures, and I prayed through this message, you know, I discovered something very interesting. There's a caveat here. 
And it is that we must be following the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we must be about the Father's business. And he will, and we must live that sacrificed life. Our problem is that we're born into a broken world. And we function out of brokenness. And we function in a broken system. And this is something that is so different than the way that the kingdom of God functions because God and his kingdom and his system is not broken. We want to trust. And we're trying to trust. But when we have the wrong understanding and we have wrong expectations, we don't see the results that we're expecting. This becomes a problem in our lives. Scripture says that we're not to lean on our own understanding, but we're to trust in the Lord and do good. Our problem is that we have expectations of how everything should unfold. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. You see, we want things when we want them. We want them where we want them. We want them how we want them. And when these expectations are not being met, we lose heart. And we surrender to doubt and to fear and to worry and thinking that God is not providing for us. Jesus says in his words that you will have trouble in this world. But he also says in his word, take heart, for I have overcome this world. That is why I tell you, do not worry. Okay, let me get this straightened out. Hopefully. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. It, uh, isn't life more important than food for the body and clothing for you? Food and your body more than clothing. The point that Jesus is making here is translated simply, stop worrying. The question in the last part of this verse, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing implies that if God is the provider of life and body, then he'll also provide for the sustenance of that. And that just makes sense. Our commitment to him and his commitment to us goes hand in hand. There are part of the covenant, this is a, uh, these things are a part of the covenant relationship that uh, was established with us from him when we became Christians. When we're totally committed to the king, we don't have to worry. This entire passage focuses most exclusively on God's provision of food and clothing and our anxieties at acquiring these things. However, we must see these two items just simply as two concrete examples used to talk about a broader principle. We could just as easily insert our basic needs like shelter and community of belonging, maybe relationships. And we go on and on with all kinds of examples. These things can be a source of anxiety to us, but the principle applies equally. The examples of food and clothing are well chosen because they're the sustenance for life, foundational for our survival. And so look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable than they are. Note the use again of the word heavenly father, especially in this context of God's loving care. Jesus is promoting just 
he's not promoting just sitting around waiting for him to provide. But what he's promoting is that he's encouraging us to avoid the anxiety as we are taking responsibility for attaining these things. So if you try to take on your basic provisions into your own hands, you'll find that you do not have the power over life and death. Only God has this power and he will sustain us as long as his plan intends. Since that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and it's gone tomorrow, if God cares so much for something as little value as the grass, he care, you know that he cares even more for us. The passage is not only exhorting our trust in the Heavenly Father, but it's showing us our worth in his eyes. The words, you of little faith, in verse 30, tends to sound like a confrontational term, but it also can be endearing. In this context, Jesus' tone is not scolding, but he's coaxing, and he's trying to reason with the disciples. He says, look, do you trust your father or not? Not with a slap in the face kind of a, a challenge, but with an arm around the shoulder, Jesus is he's not belittling his uh, disciples, but he's encouraging them upward. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Father is wanting to woo us. He's wanting to draw us to himself because he loves us. The Father wants to put his arm around us, around our shoulder, and take us for a walk to encourage us to learn from him so that we don't suffer unnecessarily, which causes incredible anxiety and worry in our lives. We see a great example in Isaiah when I, and God is trying to help the Israelites realize that he's right and they're wrong in their attitudes and their heart condition. Because he knew it was not going to end well for them if they didn't heed what he was saying to them. Isaiah 1, 18 to 20, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, he, you will eat the best from the land. That's what God is about. God wants to bless his people. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. It's just a natural outcome of how we do things. And I'm not preaching no prosperity doctrine here. I'm preaching about just the blessing of the Lord in our lives. This is the way it is. He's God and we're not. He's wanting to listen and to hear. He, wanting us to listen to hear what it is that he is saying because the fruit of doing our own thing just leads to destruction. And he grieves when he's watching us walk towards the cliff. Jesus continues to illustrate the theme in these verses about don't worry. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows that you need these things. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So first, it was downright pagan. Worry and anxiety was the attitude of those who were not a part of God's kingdom. And second, it is totally unnecessary to worry about what to eat or drink or to wear because God knows that we have those needs. So if our life is not to be preoccupied with those things, then what are we supposed to be concerned about? And that's a good question. Our concern is to be about 
God's kingdom and his righteousness. The two terms, kingdom and righteousness, are both one and the same. Michael Wilkins says, God's kingdom means his sovereign rule in heaven and on earth, most particularly in and through the life of the individual believer. To seek his kingdom is to seek to ensure that his righteousness is done on earth and especially through yours and my life. We're to be concerned first with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything has to start there. This is to be all-consuming for us. So it's important that we remind ourselves of some basic kingdom realities. How does a person find God's righteousness and char- that characterizes his kingdom? How do we navigate that? Jesus started out this Sermon on the Mount here. Before this, he started out pointing out our spiritual bankruptcy. That in and of ourselves, we have no righteousness of our own. Our very best attitudes and anything that we try to do does not suffice. Righteousness comes as a merciful undeserved gift Ephesians 2 8 9 says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast we can think we're pretty good as Christians sometimes we can think we're pretty good I don't drink I don't swear but like this young man who came to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life There was nothing that he could do. There was no good deed that was good enough for this young man to get himself into the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 2.10 says that for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the New Testament makes it clear that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We're made right Romans 3.24 says, with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And Joshua challenges God's people. He says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Make that choice. In Romans it says, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And that is the only way that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus clarified this issue with a guy named Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus he could not see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Jesus was uh, challenging him. He said, Nicodemus, what are you trusting in? Your lineage is not going to get you there. Just because you're a Jewish man does not give you an automatic ticket into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was removing what was standing between God and Nicodemus. Everything begins with our seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. In fact, we are to keep on seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, but it's not as if we're seeking it because it's hidden. We're seeking it because that's what life is all about. Walking with him, getting to know him. We're to look for every opportunity to expand more fully his already established rule 
in our lives and in the world. In anticipation of the day that when believers will reign with him when he establishes his kingdom fully on the earth. That's going to be quite a day. You know, that young man who came to Jesus, he had the question, he says, what good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, if you keep the commands, he says, which ones? Jesus named off a few of the commands. And the young man was convinced that he had taken care of all this. He keeps, he's kept all these commands. And Jesus, this young guy was obviously wrestling inside himself. He knew something was missing because he was keeping the commands. He was doing everything he thought he could do to do everything right. But he was still something missing. And what was missing was because he had that void that only the Holy Spirit can fill in him and in every one of us. There was still an emptiness in the soul of this young man. And though he was trying to do everything right, there was still something missing. Jesus told him that if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he hung his head and walked away because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he turns to them and he says, I tell you, you know, it's very hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And worry grips Peter's heart. And he says, man, oh man, if a young guy like this, a guy who's keeping all the commands and living such a clean life, he can't make it, then who can? One part of the scripture, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter says, you know, look, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, father or mother, or children or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Notice how these particular verses are taking us back to the theme of chapter 6, last month's sermon, uh, verse 19 through t- uh, 24, that we're not to allow these things to distract us from total devotion to God, our Master, and His kingdom. This is the one priority that we must embrace. Money and all the worries cannot allow us to be distracted from doing what God is expecting of us. He has something he's expecting from each one of us. It feels as if Jesus is using this term here unfavorably, but he's not. He wasn't belittling the disciples or belittling the importance of acquiring our basic needs, but he was trying to put back in in the mind of the disciples in the back of their mind, far behind God's kingdom and his righteousness in importance. All these things are what those who do not know God run after. The Father knows that we need all these things. All these things will fall into place when we put God's kingdom and his righteousness into its proper place in our lives and make serving his kingdom interests the first priority in our lives. Jesus says that for it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive, and then I put some emphasis in here for this word strive. It means like to go all out, to do your best, to do your utmost, to make every effort, to strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. 
This is a promise that God is giving us today. He's promising to take care of our needs. And God cannot lie. So why is it so hard for us to totally commit and surrender our lives in this way? Trusting God will meet every need that we have like he promises to right here. Like, Why is that so difficult for us as people? Because it's not the easiest thing in the world. I know it's not. But like I said earlier, the problem is that we have wrong expectations of how God should meet our needs. We don't like it because we want more. Or we want something different. We don't like it because it's, we want more or we want something different or we want different, a different outcome and we have no idea what it is that God is up to around about and in our lives. We're quite spoiled in this way. Like the attitude of the Israelites is very interesting. They didn't know the Lord. They knew of him from their, from their past, from their history, from their forefathers, their ancestors, telling them stories about what God did to bring them you know, to the place where they're at with Abraham and all the stuff that went on. But they didn't know him personally. And God wanted a personal relationship with all of his people. And he brought them to the base of the mountain when they come out of Egypt. And they pushed Moses forward because they were intimidated when they saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard God and they saw what was going on. It intimidated them and they pushed Moses forward. They said, you talk to him and you go see what he has to say and we'll listen to you. Whatever he tells you, we'll do it. So then they went from there. They're on their journey through the wilderness. And God was leading the Israelites. And as he's teaching them who he was, they resisted him. Because they didn't like his disciplines. The people had expectations. They're on their way to the promised land. And that's all they cared about. While the father was working to build a nation out of this group of people that knew nothing but slavery. And when things didn't go exactly as they expected, and they were not, things were not being met the way that they thought they should, that they would uh, complain and get very angry. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses, before they go into the promised land, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. He's doing that with us today. How do we handle that? And to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. They were not all right with that. That ticked them right off. They didn't like that. However, God was in the process of developing them into a nation who would be a witness to all the nations around them. God was building in them a good future. And they would complain and even threaten to stone the leaders at times. But this is when God would usually step in and straighten things out. God had a tremendous future for these people in mind. And God has a tremendous future in store for us. And as we learn to not lean on our own understanding, but trust in him, he'll lead us into that tremendous future. In the meantime, Jesus is saying, do not worry. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough for today. Jesus restated this the third time, do not worry. And this time he's broadened it to include any possibilities of the anxiety that's going to come upon us tomorrow. We're thinking about tomorrow. What if? Maybe. And we're worried about that. And he's stretching it out 
into that area. He says, as an expression of trust in your heavenly father, in our heavenly father, the kingdom servant, us, are to live in the present, trusting the father for the grace to cover our needs presently. When Jesus says, in the Lord's prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Remember Psalm 1, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, we are like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season. And in season means when we're going to need it. When the troubles come, and they will come at some point to all of us, we will be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. They'll just be there. When you need joy, joy will be there. When you need to love the unlovely, somebody that's maybe not treating you so good, the fruit of love will be there. You need peace, it'll be there. You need patience, the fruit will be there. In the season we need it. We, Jesus followers, must be motivated by trust in God's provision rather than trust in any earthly source. Any unhealthy desire for material wealth can easily become so strong that it grows into a controlling influence in our lives. And we all know that. You know, like we probably, most of us, if not all of us, have experienced that through life. You know, as you're going through life, there's things that we do and we repent. Stuff happens. But it can be so uncontrolling. And being aware of it can save us so much grief. As believers, we can also be too concerned with our daily necessities. Anxiety and worry over our daily needs is natural to the broken side of us, but it's totally unproductive. You do not have to worry because God will take care of you. He promises in his word and he cannot lie. God sees our heart. He knows what's in our heart. He knows us better than we know ourselves. We just need to learn to be honest with him. And to be honest with ourselves, that's a trick too, just to be honest with ourselves. God is a perfect father who cares about his children. God who provides for plants and animals, he's definitely going to care and provide for you. Every human being needs to forgive. And every human being needs to be forgiven. When God's kingdom is first priority in our lives, this will give us the courage to settle every account. We need to take control of the way that we think and be thinking the way that God says we're to think, according to his word. We must pray to God according to his character as a generous father. Build our prayer in the simple but profound petition model prayer that Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Seek first to serve God and advance his kingdom. Do not allow any of the many possible distractions to pull this down on your priority list. Keep it at the top of your priority list. When worry and anxiety intrudes, turn to God who cares far more. He cares for flowers, he cares for the animals, and he cares so much more for us. So this time I'm going to ask Greg and Kyla to come up. We're going to close with a song he is our Father. And this, our, uh, I know your name. It's the song. Uh, whatever the name is. I don't know what the name of the song is. <laughs> but in there it says, He is my Father. And it's a beautiful song. 
And as we think about it, I want you just to, to pray. You know, when we talk about the Heavenly Father, we have a lot of images come up in our mind because we're all raised so differently. Some of us have been raised in some pretty rough circumstances. And when you talk about the Father, we, we can't imagine a Father that is compassionate, warm and loving and cares about us. You know, there's, there's all kinds of images that come into our minds when we talk about the Father, but I want one image in your mind. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father God, that you would set this one image, the image of who you are in the minds of your people this morning. Where healings needs to take place, Father God, I release that healing in Jesus' name. I tear down the strongholds and the lies of the enemy that you are anything but a compassionate, righteous, holy God, a Father, Lord, that cares about every one of the people on the face of the earth, Lord. You died when we were yet still sinners. And so I release that healing, Lord God. So as we sing that song, I want you just to turn your eyes to the Father. Let God show you his love and his compassion and his mercy. He hears me when 
grace of God, we move through life. You know, we do a lot of unnecessary struggles in our lives, and I just want to encourage you that to know that the Father's arms are always open. He knows your name. He knows the utmost secret that maybe nobody else in the whole world knows, and if that's eaten at you, maybe you need to confess that to someone. But our Father loves you, and if you struggle with that, we want to help you as pastors in this church to know that he loves you. We have great programs in the church to help you to get to know God better. And so, Father, we just come before you and pray, Lord, have your way in our lives. Lord, you're so beyond anything that we could even attain in life, but yet there's so much of you to discover. I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to be a people who will seek you to put you the priority of our lives, Lord, seeking first your kingdom, seeking first, Lord, who you are. And we thank you that you haven't hidden it from us. Lord, that it's just who you are. Help us to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's you go.